This is Got Marketing, a fad-free, fluff-free, no-nonsense podcast for marketers looking to work smarter. I'm your host, Mia Feilman, a marketing strategist with over two decades of experience and an entrepreneur. I'm tired of marketers telling you what you want to hear. Instead, I tell you what you need to hear. During the show, I chat with creatives and strategists about all the aspects of marketing, but especially marketing campaigns. Unpacking and dissecting marketing campaigns is what I do for fun. Got Marketing is brought to you by Campaign Del Mar, the marketing education platform where marketers and entrepreneurs go to upskill. Let's dive in, shall we? friends and welcome back to the Got Marketing podcast. I have a really exciting episode planned for you today. However, I just want to caveat that in Darwin at the moment, there is a military exercise of F-35 jets and you can probably hear them in the background. I'm really sorry about that. It's quite the coincidence that this exercise has coincided with the launch of Maverick Top Gun. So just keep that in the back of your mind as we go through the episode. Today on the show, I am joined with a dear friend, Fiona Johnson, who is the founder of Peach Business Management. And what we're going to talk about is one of the questions that I get asked the most from my customers and my students, which is where to invest our finite marketing dollars. Fiona Johnson is a chartered accountant who plays where profit and purpose meet at that intersection of impact and profitability. She's a business and finance strategist for small and medium business owners and works collaboratively with her clients to create business plans and financial forecasts. She's so passionate about teaching her clients about money management, mindset, and business planning. Welcome to the show, Fee. Thanks, Mia. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm so excited about this because one of the things that I have found working with SMEs is that they just don't have a marketing budget. They are literally winging it when it comes to their marketing expenditure. I would love to know from you, what's the state of play on your end? What are you seeing when it comes to female founders and their money management? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I think if you've come from a marketing background, perhaps you're coming at things from a slightly different perspective. So you know that you'll be able to do a lot of your own marketing in those kind of early years while you're getting yourself set up. But generally what I see from female founders is that they are very risk averse. So they're scared of investing large amounts of money in, you know, anything that they see as being kind of risky. But once they get going, females are really good money managers. And if I compare what the sort of what we call a balance sheet, so looking at people's assets, if I compare my female clients to my male clients, I would see that men tend to be more open to investing in things that they see they can leverage, such as new equipment or new hires or whatever it might be in their business. Women tend to like the sort of stability of having quite a lot of money in the bank. And there's a really different way of kind of thinking about risk and yeah, how much money feels comfortable for different people as well. Mm, so interesting how yeah, the other two genders approach that. 
for sure. So many of our listeners are bootstrapping their startup and are not at that stage of getting capital um, investments or VC funding at all. So I'd love your thoughts on when is the right time to make an investment in your brand. For instance, when I started Campaign Delmar, I made a director's loan from my personal, you know, Mia Fileman bank account of around $20,000 to set up Campaign Delmar. And over the last three years, I have long since paid this off, but it really allowed me to hit the ground running. What do you advise your customers? Mm. Yeah, look, the first thing to say is not all businesses need seed funding. You know, some businesses, particularly where it's going to be a service-based business, there might be just the need for that really very basic seed funding. Like I think I started my business with about $2,000 and spent pretty much all of that on creating a visual brand because I knew that that was the most important thing for me to differentiate myself. So, you know, if you are starting a business as a service provider, there's a big chance that you can actually just slowly work your way through to the point where you're able to either invest money that you've earned from customers back into your business or at least get enough traction going with your clients that you do feel more comfortable bringing in an investment from somewhere. Probably all of the listeners will know that it's really hard to get a bank to back you as a business owner when you don't have any runs on the board. So for many people, the only option really is to bootstrap, which is where you just kind of work, keep working until it sort of works somehow, um, or to use something like a credit card or a personal loan. So, you know, those two <clears throat> options can work for some business owners. If you're starting a product business, you're probably more likely to actually need funding because products require, you know, a product business requires you to usually, if it's a physical product, purchase the product and have a lot more infrastructure set up than you would need if you were just kind of a consultant who just needs a LinkedIn profile and a website kind of thing. So I think a lot of people think as funding as something that would happen from an investor or uh, you know, VC or venture capital. But actually another funding source is our customers. And I think it's something that a lot more businesses, particularly in startup phase, need to really leverage. So if you are confident that you, or sorry, let me backtrack a little there. The best way to find out whether there is a need for your product is to ask someone to buy it. Okay. So if you don't have the funds to start your product business, but you really have a, a, a passion for creating whatever product business it is that you're creating, what you could do is to actually fund the initial purchase of your products via pre-order. And that might feel a little uncomfortable to some people because a lot of people are perfectionists and the idea of having something imperfect go to market feels a little you know, um, all the spidey senses might be going off. But actually, if the product that you're solving is something that's worth investing in from your clients or what you're going to provide is going to improve people's lives, wouldn't it be amazing to have a pre-order for your first range and that then launches your business model so that you actually don't need to take on investment in the traditional sense perhaps until 
you know, you need to make the next big investment, which might be a warehouse or a really uh, comprehensive website or or something along those lines. So, yeah. I love, love, love that idea because it's not only great money management, it's also great marketing because you're essentially validating your offer. You're Before you're going all in with a new brand, a new product, you know, you actually go out there and ask real customers whether they want it and whether they're willing to put their money where their mouth is. So I'm a huge fan of that strategy. And most of the um, fellow online business owners, I don't know if you did this for you and you don't have to admit to it, but before I actually had created Campaign Classroom, I sold Campaign Classroom. And then I... um, I built it week by week in the first intake and now of course it's it's built and fine-tuned but that very first intake I wrote it as we were as we were going. I not only did that too I'm proud that that is how I did it and I actually told my students while they were going through that first round that we were co-creating the course together. Oh yes! Yeah I mean there's nothing like being able to get that instant feedback in our context as online business owners that feedback is being on Zoom with a client and realising oh they don't understand what I'm talking about here I'll need to go and amend that for later an instant feedback for a product business is going to a market where there's literally people walking past your stall and seeing what you've got to offer. And in the kind of virtual world as a product business, you know, your website page or your homepage, it's a place to have instant feedback. And I think asking people if they would buy something that might come in the future is a complete waste of your time. Totally. But putting the product, whether that's a course or, um, you know, a physical product or even a service that you plan to kind of build out, asking somebody to pay for that before it's ready is actually perfect because, yeah, you're getting funding from the person whose life is actually being improved through the delivery of that product or service and yeah. you never have to question whether it's something that people want or not. Great. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that... There's lots of different ways to skin this cat. You don't have to do things a particular way. If you have personal funds or seed funding that you want to invest in your business, then go for it. You don't always have to have money in the bank before you make an investment. Business is inherently risky. And so sometimes you need to back yourself and say, well, I don't want to spend two years building this. I just want to, you know, put down some cash initially and hit the ground running. Likewise, if you don't do that, that's okay too. You can absolutely grow your own way. Yeah. Gut Marketing is brought to you by Campaign Del Mar, a marketing education platform for entrepreneurs. Master the fundamentals of marketing, nail your email marketing strategy, or join my signature program, Campaign Classroom, and learn how to create killer marketing campaigns. These are not the kind of online programs where you are left floundering, unsure how to put theory into practice. Nor will these programs sit unfinished for months. You can expect accountability, a supportive community, and to walk away with practical, real-world marketing skills. Learn more at campaigndelmar.com. I just want to talk to you about hiring because a lot of the listeners are at that stage now where they've reached uh, capacity of what they can do as a business owner. 
either, you know, e-commerce founders or service-based founders, they're already working all the hours that they can work. And so now they're at that stage about whether they should hire, whether they shouldn't hire. Do you have any advice or experience about when is the right time to bring on staff? What milestones should a business be looking to hit before they make that investment in a team? Mm. Yeah, I love this question. And it's interesting. I know we share this opinion that I really think it's important to upskill before you outsource. Yes. Whether, yeah, whether that's learning about running a marketing campaign or whether it's learning about how to put together a business model or how to manage your finances, you're so much more likely to hire well and manage somebody well if you understand what they're doing and what doing it well looks like. Okay, so that's the first thing is to know at least a little bit about the area that you want to hire into. The second thing to consider is how will I leverage this investment? So if you have currently more demand for your product or service than you can fulfill, that is a good indicator that there's some scope there to, you know, leverage that other person. If you're just wanting to hire somebody because there's an idea that having somebody else join your team might allow you to grow the demand for your product or service, I'd say you're probably doing it in the wrong order. So the best way to start a, um, a new hire is to have them start with a full workload. So if that's something that you're working towards, so in the example of a service business, ideally you want to be building a wait list so that when that person starts, they actually have at least a half a workload. You know, if they started with a full workload, that would be amazing. But actually starting to build wait lists and even just asking your clients if they would join a wait list is a good starting point because if people aren't willing to wait a couple of months for you to sort of build that new capacity in, that's probably not a great sign that there is actually legitimate demand for that product or service. So with a product business, the same is true. So if you're finding that you're not able to leverage your own time and the business model that you have, then it's time to start thinking about, do I need you know, more people in my team? Then the next thing to consider is, what is it that I'm trying to leverage here? So what does success with this hire look like? Does it look like me having more time outside of work? And if so, woohoo, you know, that's a great thing to aspire to. If the idea or success for this new hire looks like you being able to service more customers or to be able to better support the customers that you have, and therefore you'll be able to charge higher prices or earn more profits. Um, so really understanding like, what am I trying to achieve with this hire? What does it allow me to, you know, gain? Is it more time for myself? Is it better clients, blah, blah, blah. And how do I leverage this? So if you plan to hire somebody for $60,000 a year, how does that actually fit into your overall business picture? The other little tip I have is a little bit more practical and it's if you are using the profit first system, which I'm sure many listeners are, where you're putting money aside for different aspects of your business, if you're starting to see the amount of money in your operating expenses or your people costs, if you're starting to see the amount left in there after you've paid 
you know, your existing team, if the amount in there is starting to build, that is a good sign that there's already some extra kind of um, budget there for another person. So that can be a really practical way of seeing, yes, there's money building up in that account, therefore there's something to look at here. Yeah, that is such great advice, Fee. I, I think that that's really, really valuable to people tuning in. And I think it really does come back to the kind of business that you want to run. Like when I ran an agency, I swore black and blue that I was never going to hire staff again and that it was just going to be me, myself and I in this business. And I'm glad that I went back on that decision because my team now, Emily and Ashley, are incredible because you realise that you know, for all these promises of scaling your business to seven figures in your sleep, first you need to grow your business. And if yeah. you don't have any more time to dedicate to this business, then something's got to give. Like you can't just magically service more clients um, if you don't have any more time to give. And so, mm. yeah, if you have reached a point where you can't grow your business anymore without building your team, then you just have to decide, well, Either this is enough for me or I'm actually I do want to see the potential of this business and look mm. at making that higher. The other thing I just want to mention at this point is just beware of false economies. Amongst the startup ecosystem and particularly female founders, they are a little bit reluctant to hire proper, you know, permanent employees and they tend to, to use a lot of contractors. However, like I asked my accountants to do a side-by-side comparison of like what's the actual cost of contractors versus employees and it was substantially more cost-effective to bring on my team as permanent part-time employees rather than contractors because you're paying huge hourly rates and, and so forth. So, yes, it's appealing because, you know, you can choose not to use those contractors at any time, but I don't want to be paying $60 and $80 hourly rates. So just really... Keep that in mind. Yeah, I'd like to just pull that out a little, if I may. Something that I want to raise is that I think a lot of people see the sign of their team as an indicator of their success. And if having a big team is what success looks like for you, awesome. But if having a small team or operating on your, you know, on your own sort of schedule as a highly specialised solo person, If that's what success looks like to you, I think we need to learn to celebrate that more and to start really shedding a light on the beauty that can come from having a company of one. And there's a fantastic book on that topic. The other thing to note about hiring a team member as an employee or working with a contractor, I think it comes down to understanding where your strengths are and what you want to do as the leader of the business. So One of the benefits of working with a contractor is that they theoretically come pre-trained. They're already self-motivated. They don't need to be sort of briefed in the same way as an employee does. But yes, they will be more expensive when they're working, but they can generally get straight to the work. Whereas hiring an employee, it's an investment. It's a long-term strategy. It's a long-term investment in time and money, you know, for your future business. Such a great point. Yeah, that is, I, I never actually thought about it like that. And yeah, that's a really, really clever way of summarizing it. So thank you. Good news. There's more to this chat. Play the next episode to hear the rest of the conversation.